experiences that are a combination of spiritual warfare, growing up in rural Africa, and then also seeing what the African peoples themselves have to face, drought, rain, flood. Yeah. It is hard at times to capture mm -hmm. uh, my story because I don't know where to begin. Yeah. And it's the grace of God that I feel like I've been able to, to, to experience those things. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Alongside Podcast, which is a production here of Heritage Baptist Church. The purpose of this podcast is to come alongside followers of Christ in order to have thoughtful conversations about the gospel culture and the church. I'm your host, Mike Crump, and today I'm joined by a guy who really needs no introduction here at Heritage. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard him passionately proclaim God's word from the platform. And if you know him personally, then you know that he is just as passionate about Jesus and his word offstage as he is on. But what you may not know is that he's also a major foodie and a bit of a coffee snob, if I'm honest. <laughs> Uh, but all those things aside, it is my joy to welcome Pastor Nathan Smith to the podcast. Nathan, welcome. We're glad to have you. Thank you, Mike. Now, we've had you on before, and usually it's in the context of talking about things like uh, the Pathway Family Discipleship. Uh, we talked to, with uh, Joshua and Dave recently uh, with their introduction here on staff, which was a great conversation. Uh, but today you're in the hot seat to really talk about yourself and your testimony um, and really how God has brought you to heritage and what he has done and between those two things. Um, so let's really kind of just start from the beginning because that's a great place to start. Um, mm -hmm. And where I like to start with everybody is you have a testimony that uh, includes Tanzania, but did you, were you born in Tanzania? Uh, so born in Houston, Texas. Okay. All right. Missionary Texas. kid in Tanzania, East Africa. Okay. Came back to the States, thought I was going to the mission field uh, through some different events. The Lord directed me here at Heritage, and now I'm a pastor here at Heritage, married to Jessica and uh, three wonderful children. So that's the end of the conversation. That's the end. That's okay, my story. So was it was, was that was that good enough? That was a helpful? great podcast episode, everyone. <laughs> you can just turn it off now. <laughs> okay, oh, so you my. were born in Houston, yes. Texas. And uh, now, were your parents currently at that time, were they missionaries? They were not. Okay. So um, my, my, my dad is a, is a pastor, was a pastor in the States here, uh, an associate pastor down in Houston, Texas. And that's, of course, where I was born. My dad's originally from Florida. My mom originally from Maine. And uh, of course, my sister and I were born uh, there in Houston. So I have a great affinity for the Southwest, specifically Texas, and good Mexican food. I was going to say, that's why you love the food barbecue, in that area. So absolutely, yes. Barbecue in North Carolina is better, but that's okay. Continue. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my goodness. This is off to a <laughs> rip-roaring start. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave that be at the okay. moment. Uh, we'll come back to that, I'm sure. Uh, no, my, my, my parents then, uh, they knew coming out of Bible college that they wanted to go to the mission field eventually. Mm -hmm. So when I was five, uh, we moved to Kenya, East Africa. Okay. So when I was three, uh, we did the whole traveling to different churches, and I don't really remember much of that okay. for obvious okay. reasons. Uh, but went to Kenya and uh, when I was five years old, and that's really when my time in Tanzania began. Gotcha. So how was it for you? I know you were- East Africa. I'm sorry. I said Kenya and then Tanzania. East Africa, Kenya, and Tanzania together. Okay. So you were you were there in East Africa. And how was it for you as a, as a child, as a young child, mm -hmm. um, in that transition? Because, you know, I think a lot of times as parents, we think, you know, that this is just going to be traumatic for a child or this is going to be very, very difficult. Was that the case? Or were you able to transition fairly easily in that, you know, being young? 
So I, my earliest memories, um, maybe I should have memories earlier than five, mm -hmm. but really my earliest memories are only of Africa. I don't really mm -hmm. have any pre-memories before Africa, before Kenya. Yeah. Um, my, my memories kind of pick up in, in, in when we actually uh, started living in Kenya, okay. learning the people, learning the language. And I didn't really understand why my parents were there, of course, mm -hmm. but as we went to villages and they're learning Swahili and they're learning uh, what it means to, to be a missionary there, mm -hmm. I really started asking questions and thinking through, okay, what, this Jesus they're preaching, mm -hmm. heaven, hell, what is it? And even at five, and I think this is a commendation for, man, it's never too early to start evangelizing your children Amen. because Amen. from a very, very early age, I started to have questions and think through my, my eternal destiny. Mm. I think that's a good point. And, and we've heard this testimony time and time again, even on this podcast, is that a small child who the concept of heaven, even the concept of hell, they begin wondering, what is this about? And parents who are faithful and to take them to the scriptures and say, here's what the scriptures say. And not just leave them hanging with hell and scared <laughs> to death, but pointing right. them to the goodness of right. God in Christ and what he has done. Absolutely. And that is my testimony as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember it was another missionary who was preaching about hell. And I was really driven to my dad asking, okay, what is this? And, mm. and am I going to go there? And he shared the gospel with me. Yeah. And there in the highlands of Kenya, um, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it was the love of God that uh, to ransom me from hell, mm. that, that was such a profound impact. And then it was funny, um, I wanted to be baptized like yeah. right after that. And we were in a Maasai village, and they were having a baptismal service that my dad was doing. Yeah. And the baptismal was basically a culvert, a dirt creek that they had stopped up with mud wow. just deep enough to be able to uh, baptize people. And as my dad was baptizing people, I was like, I raised my hand. I'm like, I want to be baptized. Yeah. And my mom's like, don't you want to wait till you get back to you know the Kenyan church with clean water and, <laughs> you know, things like that. And I, and I said, no, I want to be baptized now. That's awesome. So I was baptized in a Maasai village um, in a mud creek with my East African brothers and sisters. And that, and I remember that. And I remember I went into the water and I came back out and I went, wow, that's awesome. And I, that, that sticks with me today because it, it was a profound moment. And really, though we all struggle with different aspects of our growth mm -hmm. and in salvation at different times, I have never had any doubt that that was my salvation and my baptismal experience, uh, and it was both real. Praise God. And and what age were you at this time? So I was six when I got saved, okay. and then also six when I got baptized. When you got baptized. Fantastic. Yes. Man, that is, that is just so cool to uh, think, uh, you know, especially in that area and then you know, in the middle middle of your parents' ministry and what they're doing. So that's, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, and it had a profound impact on me just being a part of their ministry. Now, again, I didn't understand everything, but we spent the first three years of, of my life uh, it, well, in, in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, so five to basically eight years old, seven years old, yeah. um, uh, there in Kenya. So I know a lot of people know I'm from I grew up in Tanzania, but mm -hmm. really I grew up in East Africa because I've spent a lot of time in Kenya and a lot of time in Tanzania, and both are Swahili-speaking countries. Okay. But I grew up with my dad, um, my, my parents, going doing a lot of village ministry. Mm -hmm. They really put a high priority on learning the language, mm -hmm. um, learning the people, uh, that the people were, were, were to be our friends mm -hmm. and our neighbors and, and, and our family. So yeah. we really grew up with that ideal of the African peoples just being is just dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. That's fantastic. So what when you speak of village ministry, just to kind of give people an idea, 
What, what, what would that look like? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, thank you for bringing that up because it, it is a world away and the world has even changed quite a bit even in the last you know 30 years yeah. since my parents first went to, to Africa. And um, village ministry, most of the African population, especially back then, were, were very rural. Mm -hmm. So you had these major city centers, of course, with electricity and running water and uh, still very rustic in some ways, not, yeah. not what we consider American standards. Village ministry are small little villages of maybe five or 10 or 15 mud huts, mm -hmm. uh, very primitive peoples, might be the Maasai, might be the Kikuyu, might be the Luo peoples, and go out there and minister in, a, in just a little little mud church. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes as you were driving out to the villages, yeah, you would see ele elephants, giraffes, zebras, um, and we would come back then to our house that evening and debrief and talk and pray about what we saw, what we learned. And, and it, it was a great experience for the most part. Of course, there's, there's always challenges oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and difficulties that you face. And I, one of those, you know, sickness. I mean, you know, we live in the age of a pandemic and, and those are very real things with, with the COVID. Now, God willing, hopefully COVID season yeah. is passing. Amen. Uh, but disease was, was something that we kind of grew up with as a regular part of life, yeah. specifically malaria, cholera, typhoid and stuff, and had a lot of unique um, experiences. One of them, I fell asleep on the floor one time in our house, and I woke up screaming. And this I'm seven, sorry, six years old. And what had happened was, is a beetle had crawled into my ear and was starting to chew through my eardrum. Oh, <laughs> so sorry yikes. for those of you listening to this podcast. Yikes. You know, so they had, and my parents didn't know what was going on. Yeah, they had yeah. to rush me to the hospital, but not a hospital as we know it here. Yeah. Very, very simple. And they were able to discover what it was. And they flushed it out. And of course, by God's grace, no lingering effects yeah. today. <laughs> you can still hear. That's yeah, good. I can still hear. What, what did you say? No. <laughs> uh, but a lot of things like that, just experiences that are a combination of spiritual warfare, um, com combination of growing up in rural Africa, yeah. and then also seeing what the African peoples themselves have to face, drought, rain, flood. Yeah. So uh, I, I, have, I feel like when, when I think of Africa, it is full of colors and smells mm. and textures and experiences and, and experiences with people and events and animals. So. It is hard at times to capture mm -hmm. uh, my story because I don't know where to begin. Yeah, and the grace of God that I feel like I've been able to to, to experience those things. Yeah. So, what was it like? You shared a little bit from a like a child's perspective mm -hmm. of it, but what was it like as a teen growing up in? Because you you were there as a teenager growing up in yeah. Africa. What was it like as a teen growing up in Africa? Maybe some of your experiences yeah. in that age range. Well, let me pick up a little bit on the childhood and I'll transition to teen yeah, because yeah. This, this has actually a direct correlation. So because of sickness, because of malaria and things like that, there was this event when I was seven years old when my dad, my mom, and I, we all got serious malaria. Mm. Um, and I had what was called a plus three malaria, which is right before it goes to the brain. And really? it's pretty fatal at that point. And uh, so from seven years old on, I had a real cognizance of my mortality, mm. of how frail life was, and really did struggle at times with maybe a little bit of a hypochondria of what was going to kill me, as it were. Okay. Because we're, when I spent the first three years from five to eight in Kenya, and then we moved down to Dodoma, Tanzania. And Dodoma was different than Kenya. Kenya highlands, 8,000 feet elevation, very lush and green. Mm -hmm. Dodoma, very arid, very dry. Okay. Uh, finding emperor scorpions and stuck in your door, okay. or uh, spitting cobras, or 
Uh, in one of the cities we lived in at times, hyenas would run through the streets at night. and So everything's trying uh, to kill you. Everything felt like it was trying to kill yeah, you. Yeah. So, so you know, you sense the frailty yeah. of life. Uh, we moved to Morogoro, and then there were black mambas and green mambas. Oh, and uh, My mom reached into the pantry one time, and a spitting cobra slithered across her hand. Um, <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went up to play in the yard, and I, I, I killed a, 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 a black mamba, which if it bites you within 20 or 30 minutes, you will die. Yeah. You know, we didn't have any medical facilities nearby. So I realized that as a child and as a teen, there was a constant awareness of every time you stepped out your door, it felt like, or reaching into the pantry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just normal flow just of life. Just normal flow of life. Yeah. It felt like there were so many things that you just really thanked God every day mm-hmm. for the day. Um, and you never took safety for granted. Yeah. Every time we got on the road to drive, my dad would pray, God, give us safety on the road. Mm. Because I saw so many dead bodies on the road because of people getting hit in accidents or things like that. It it was such a common occurrence in life, not to mitigate the loss of life or minimize it. It was just, it was frequent for us. It was frequent for the Tanzanian people. So as a teen, I struggled with insecurities. I struggled with fear of death at times. And uh, really just praise God for him in spite of those dark times, mm. really showing me himself in a very special way. Mm. Praise God. So those are kind of the darker aspects of <laughs> kind of what you were dealing with. And I think they're very real. It's interesting because Amy and I were actually having this conversation last night. She's reading a book on the Mayflower and the traveling over here to um, the new world, if you will. And just, the loss of life and the suffering and just the hardship. Mm-hmm. And I think we've lost sight of just how difficult life is in our Western spheres because we are very comfortable. Yeah. And in a lot of areas outside of that, it's just normal. It's, yeah. it's eking out an existence. It's trying to survive. And so there's just something that we we miss and that you have obviously experienced. Um, so that, that aside and that struggle, what were some of your favorite parts about living in Africa? Maybe some of the things that you just really <laughs> enjoyed that maybe we miss here. Yeah, I'll, I will share some of those fun things. I would like to maybe pick up on something you just said there and I think is so important. Um, when we talk about dark and suffering and whatnot, um, sometimes I think in life we can separate out and say this is dark and, and suffering and then this is good and um and light or bright. Mm -hmm. One of the things that all of those struggles and challenges taught me in that in the darkness and the suffering can be some of the sweetest moments Mm -hmm. of actually knowing and seeing Christ, even even at a young age, and and trying and reconciling with what is my theology of suffering. I know that sounds like a very heavy topic, but let's put that in in just colloquial terms, just just normal everyday language. How do I reconcile all this dark, stuff that I see or have experienced. And then seeing a lovely God, a gentle God who meets you and others in those moments. And so even though there were some real challenges and and difficulties that that had a profound way on the way that I think about life Mm -hmm. and death, um, it to me made God so much more real, Mm -hmm. so much more present. This isn't just the God of the good times. This is the God that bears the weight of suffering and is bigger than it and, and sees us through it and grows us through it. And 
and, and not even just speaking for myself, but going into a village and seeing an African pastor who has nothing, mm. I mean, nothing, and then smile ear to ear to where like his teeth and, and his missing teeth are covering <laughs> his face and he's smiling. Why? Because of Jesus. Amen. And so I preach Jesus because I've seen Jesus Amen. real and lived out in life and, and in Africa. So so I, I in my mind, I think that some of those challenges yeah. are in some ways the things that have shaped my perspective greatly to the appreciation of who God is. Yeah. And, and, I, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that Jesus and his word and the truth that we find in it transcends whether there is suffering or there is celebration. Yes. It transcends both of that because yes. he is in all of it. Yes. Um, and that, that, that is the hope that we have and the, the glorious thing. That's why we can rejoice in our suffering because Christ is there with us. Absolutely. And, and not to minimize the sufferings because yeah. even today, even today, I still struggle with images that I have seen mm. in the past or experiences that I've had. So I'm still processing, yeah. if you were, trauma or or experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But it is that hope and faith that keeps it sweet and real. Amen. On the other side, there have been some wonderful, just fun experiences growing up in, in Tanzania. So as a teen, uh, I I was able to, my, my dad got me a dirt bike, you know, a 250cc uh, Honda Enduro style dirt bike. And we would kind of ride over Tanzania together and we would um, maybe going to a village or a ministry location or even just for fun, mm -hmm. go out on our bikes and chase zebras across the plains. Yes. Uh, they actually always outran us. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to chase a zebra on a dirt path uh, yeah. is never, you're never going to catch up with them. Uh, I remember one time we actually came across a zebra carcass with big old paw prints around oh, it. Oh, man. And me, me and my friend, this was my, my friend, not my yeah. dad. And uh, we were like, oh. Something big, like a lion, killed yeah. this thing. And uh, so we went a little bit further and found another zebra carcass. This one was a little more fresh. And we went, big paw prints around it. Came to another one, and there was an, another, it was even more fresh. And we went, we are going the wrong way. Yeah. You know, we're going <laughs> to find the thing that killed this thing. And so we, so we went the other way. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that was a fun experience. Mm -hmm. uh, just enjoying the beauty and the nature of East Africa, Tanzania and Kenya mm -hmm. are some of the most stunning geographical locales. And the animals, uh, seeing them in their natural habitat. Uh, those are some experiences that I will, I will treasure forever. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing some of those. I think that it helps kind of paint like a background of, of Pastor Nathan, Nathan <laughs> Smith and where he's been. Um, but now let's transition to kind of stateside, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, you did come back overseas. Um, and I'm assuming probably university brought yep. you back this way. Yep. Um, so let's pick up the journey, if you will, from that point. Um, where did you end up going, and what does that what does that journey look like for you as far as school and your movement towards heritage? So I know it can get um, we can get lost in other people's stories, and so again, moved to Kenya, then moved to Tanzania, grew up there, had these experiences. I ended up going to boarding school for about four years, which I loved, mm -hmm. Valley Academy in Kenya. Okay. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to, to do something that made a difference in the world, mm -hmm. that, 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 that I made an impact on the world. That, that was something that really was a passion of mine. I'm, I'm an ambitious guy. Like, that's part of, part of my makeup. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, while at Rafali Academy, I got involved in something called Model United Nations, MUN. The largest UN installation in the world is in 
uh, other than New York, is in Nairobi. Okay. And they bring students from all over the world to do live debates in the UN building. Um, so you're debating students from Qatar or from Saudi. Wow. And I got involved in that in debating uh, on, on the political scene in that what's a mock United Nations. There's wow. about a thousand students from all over the world. Anyways, I presented a resolution there and actually won an award and it got presented in the real UN uh, General Assembly uh, just as a, hey, could we do this with a student came up with? So I got a love for mm. um, maybe maybe politics are my thing. Yeah, I quickly came to realize that the UN um, is not the most productive of organizations. <laughs> uh, so, but I, I really did enjoy that dynamic on one side, I enjoyed speaking yeah. and um so I came back to the States for university with the idea, small ambition, small goal in life, but I wanted to be president of the United States. Okay, so something minor. Something minor. Okay. I thought, you know, if you're going to change the world, just go to the top. Yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs> Makes sense. So my, my path with that, and then this is, this is my ambition, right? Yeah. I have my life planned out, so I'm going to go to the Air Force Academy, do, do a stint in the military in the Air Force, mm -hmm. uh, come out of that, go into politics, become president, leave my mark on history. You know, so on one side, people would say, well, it's pretty arrogant of you. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is how, but, in, you know, in my mind, I was like, I, you know, life is short. We, yeah. we want to make if an impact on the world. You're going to do it. Let's do it. Do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I came back to the States and applied to the Air Force Academy. I went through flight training. Uh, soloed my with my pilot's license. Uh, sorry, soloed as a getting my pilot's license. That's a whole other story. I think I almost broke the airplane a couple of times. Oh, man. On my my first landing, I almost like bounced it down the runway. Nice. Uh, but right about that time of coming back to the States and thinking, what am I going to do with my life uh, in the Air Force Academy? Mm -hmm. I had been provisionally accepted to the Academy, but uh, the Lord was doing a work in my heart mm. and all the, he had taken my desire away from like, Nathan, I don't want to use you in politics mm. or uh, in, in the military, not, not to disparage anybody in those walks. I yeah. think yeah. God uses people all different walks. I'm thankful for them. But for me, uh, that was not the direction he was leading me. And I, and I went through some dark moments of Lord, what do you want? Mm. Um, and it, what am I going to do? And so God directed me actually up to a friend who was at this university called Liberty University. Mm -hmm. We ended I've heard up, of it. yeah, you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, <laughs> I feel like half of our church is graduated <laughs> from there, and uh, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, but uh, came up here, and my friend and I, he was my roommate, and we had grown up together in Tanzania. That was our connection, mm. fellow MKs, and God was working on us at the same time. What are you going to do with your life, Nathan? And we started praying together. We started thinking through what are, what are these next steps. And God gave us a heart for the nations. Mm -hmm. And so we literally just said, all right, we want to go where nobody else is willing to go to do what no one else is willing to do. And so we started drawing circles on the map, like we're going to go to Somalia. We're going to go to the Sudan. Mm -hmm. We want to go to places where the Lord might be able to use us. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what... Uh, that's kind of the journey from Africa to here that really the Lord, even though I grew up on the mission field, yeah. I didn't grow up on the mission field thinking I'm going to be a missionary. Mm. The Lord broke my heart for the nations uh, later. Wow. And, and I really thank God that he did so because yeah. it's profoundly impacted me, of course, until this day. Yeah. So how did you get from that point where you, it's like, it's time for going to the nations. Mm -hmm. This is where my heart is. But now you're a pastor 
at a church <laughs> in Virginia, in Virginia, right next to Liberty. Right? I know, right? I know. So, I know. so yes. I know there's a there's a lot that's happening in between. I know Jessica's in there somewhere as well. <laughs> so, just as Jeremy and I, my my friend and I, were um, praying about going to the nations, we at this time met um, what would become our future spouses. Okay. Uh, both at Liberty as well. And my wife had a heart for the nations. She's from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. God got a hot hold of her heart and we started dating and then, of course, got married. And Jessica and I were on the road to go to uh, the Arab world, specifically mm. the North Africa, a hard area. And we were just passionately bought in. But we also knew from our own convictions that we needed to be a part of a local church. Yeah. And that's a shout out to every LU student, every young person. Um, get involved and be committed to a local church. Amen. And that local church was Heritage. And we knew that Heritage was a missions-minded church. We had no designs, even expectations that Heritage would ever send us to the nations. We thought, we're not worthy of that. Uh, this, this is a big church, great. We're not qualified. No, we're, we're just here to, to joy until the Lord sees fit to move us on. Yeah. Um, we got involved here at Heritage, uh, came to know and to love so many people. This was back in 2005. Okay. And um, it was during that time that I was working at the missions office at Liberty that I led a, a team from Liberty to a really unreached part of Asia. Mm. And really the, in the lower Himalayan region, a team that was hiking up there and giving um, solar-powered mp3 bibles um you know on a little player yeah, to yeah. this illiterate himalayan chinese uh asian people group wow. um up there and uh the lord really did some miraculous things i mean that's a whole another story of how the lord worked in that trip well, i came back and i shared that story and dr jerry kroll my predecessor the previous senior pastor heard the story and said hey would you share with the church on a Sunday night, and I was 24 years old mm -hmm. at that point, about what the Lord did on this trip. Anyways, it was one of those moments that night where the Holy Spirit was just present mm -hmm. in, in a mighty way. And I would say, I guess I came on the radar of Heritage's leadership at that point at 24 years of age mm -hmm. with that trip and presenting that. And uh, I just continued to get involved. I got to know Dr. Kroll, we became friends, and he really became a mentor in many ways know the pastors, and I came on as an intern here at Heritage. My wife and I are going to candidate school. Final step, Heritage is now going to take us on as missionaries. Before we had before we had even started support raising, going to the mission field, um, God had already provided over 70% of our support needed wow. before we even hit the ground. And uh, the day before I go to candidate school, we go to candidate school for, for to go to North Africa, Dr. Kroll calls me in his office and he says, uh, Nathan, I want you to pr pray about becoming my successor as the next senior pastor at Heritage. I was almost 25 at this point. So wow. I mean, just, just a young, I'm just a kid. And I'm yeah. you know, still, still just a kid. I feel like in many ways. <laughs> I don't know about you. You are never, a youngin. Never grow up anyways. Uh, and you know, I, I did the spiritual thing and said, I'll pray about pray it. Pray about it. Yeah. Pray, you know, but, that, that, that's the response. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd already made up your mind. But I've you already just, made up yeah, my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm not staying here. I mean, you know, I love heritage. Love, thank God. But for me, for me, mm -hmm. 
Lynchburg is about as foreign as a mission field as you can possibly get. Yeah. And I know that sounds funny to a guy who's blue-eyed and as white as can possibly be and sticks out overseas from 100 miles away. But my personal cultural experience mm. is that I feel naturally more comfortable in an African Arab context and with peoples from that than I do in South Central Virginia in some mm. ways. So this, this is a mission field for me. Yeah. It was not a temptation to ever be a senior pastor. I wanted to be overseas at the nations, in some ways, my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and that was what the Lord called us to. And, you know, famous last words. <laughs> I know what the Lord wants for me, and it ain't this. And then <laughs> the Lord redirected us here. I don't know if you want any more details on how that happened, but it, it's, it's such a wild story. Well, I, I just think it, it is fascinating how, you know, often that conversation happens the other way around, right? It's like, sure. we're ready for the pastorate, and then it's like God says, <laughs> go to Africa. Right? That's how we hear it. And it's like, true. Lord, I'm, I don't know. About you know that. <laughs> but no, it's, I'm going, you know, to, to Africa. Africa, and God says, stay. Um, but I, yeah. I do think it is just fascinating the way it happened. And what was it? that switched the gears in your mind? How did the Lord impress upon your heart, you and Jessica? Because mm. you, you, are, you are sold out to go to North Africa. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're ready. Mm -hmm. you, you have been sinking your, your blood, sweat, and tears in a very mm -hmm. real way into preparing for this. And then all of a sudden, I mean, this is a major shift. You, it had to have been of, of the Lord for you to change trajectory here. What was it that changed that for you? Uh, Jessica and I never lost our heart to go to the nations. Yeah. In some ways, if the Lord called us to go tomorrow, we wouldn't blink an eye. Our mm -hmm. heart is still there. Yeah. And I know that over the years, actually, we've shared that, and it's made some people hair nervous. <laughs> like, like, what? What is he leaving? <laughs> you're, not, you're not allowed to go to the mission field because you may not come back, you know? Um, <laughs> but what happened was is we were on our survey trip overseas in North Africa, and Jessica and I were praying, Lord, we want to be obedient, so we want to at least look at this option. Yeah. And what Dr. Kroll had challenged us to think about was think about staying and perhaps be a greater catalyst for others to go than maybe you yourself going. Mm. Maybe more will go and maybe more will be sent as a result of your staying than you're going. Yeah. And that was really hard because I want to go. Yeah. I wanted to be over there. But the Lord didn't take away our heart for North Africa or the mission field. Mm -hmm. But it's more like he layered and put an additional heart and passion for not any local church. And, and truly, it wasn't the pastorate to become a pastor of yeah, a large yeah. church. Um, it was for this local church, for this specific place. Mm. And it was, can we take the mission that's already been laid here and continue to mobilize it and move it forward? Yeah. And frankly, we got some criticism because a young couple mm -hmm. leaving the mission field to take on the pastorate of a big church from the outside, it looks like a career move. Yeah. It looks like you're climbing the ladder. And we did actually experience a good bit of criticism and pushback and people questioning our motives, not actually at Heritage, just yeah. uh, from, from other missionary circles and maybe some, some uh, you know, here locally. But for us, if you were to ask and say, what was the easier choice? Yeah, for many, maybe the easier choice would be staying. Mm -hmm. For me, the easier choice would have been to go. Mm -hmm. 
And so staying was a much harder choice for me and for Jessica. Yeah. And so we really believed, all right, in the local church, in the bride, can we be catalysts to send people to the nations and to, more specifically, love Jesus so much that they're willing to be obedient no matter what the vocation or missional direction they have is. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I do think it is quite beautiful how the Lord works and that even just this year, we have a North Africa team yeah. that is going out filled with several people, several families yeah. who are going to minister to a very unreached people group. It's very exciting. And uh, very you know, exciting. and how you have played a part in that as senior leadership here at Heritage um, and helping pave the way for, for a lot of that and continuing a legacy of raising people up, equipping the saints and preparing people for um, living the gospel life um, hmm. among the nations, which is hmm. our mission um, here at Heritage. I really celebrate just not, not only th th there's something special to see people go mm -hmm. to North Africa into places that we had a heart for specifically, but it's equally just as special to see families and people get excited about uh, Asia about the Middle East and elsewhere, just seeing uh, God move. And truly, um, it's just been a joy to be a part of. Awesome. I think it, even I think of just even the Afghan initiative and mm -hmm. caring for those who are now neighbors among us and just uh, the outpouring of love, support, care, Christ-like servants, you know, <laughs> that are just seeking yeah. to do so in our midst. I mean, it really is just truly, and I'm not saying it, it is truly of the Lord that, yeah. that, that this is happening, um, but I'm very thankful for your leadership and a lot of it because, you know, someone who's come on staff, you know, several years ago, um, uh, I have seen the heart behind all of these initiatives, and it truly is that same heart that wanted to go to Morocco. Mm. It is a heart for the nations that is that is truly uh, on display. Oh, so I'm very, you. very grateful to, to be part of it. So with all of that said, how would you, for the person who's maybe new to Heritage, and this is all kind of brand new to them, they're like, wow, I didn't realize all of this stuff was was, was back there. Um, and, and they probably don't realize that th there was like a 10-year transition. Uh, yes, uh, maybe very briefly, and I'll yeah, try yeah. and keep this to the point. And please interrupt me if I get a little too long-winded because preachers do You that. don't do that. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Um, I came on as an associate pastor at Heritage when I agreed, uh, when we agreed to Dr. Kroll and said, I will enter this transition plan, a four-year transition plan, actually, of uh, moving from associate pastor, and then I grew into the position of executive pastor, and then I took on the role of co-pastor with Dr. Kroll, mm -hmm. and then in 2012, uh, I came on as senior pastor. So it's crazy. I'm actually coming up on 10 years as senior pastor here at Heritage. I'm the second longest serving senior pastor wow. in Heritage's history, which is an honor. And it's also crazy how quickly time flies. Yeah. So that was a transition plan during which time I did my undergraduate in Bible. And I mentioned my education because it actually had a profoundly formative mm. um, uh, experience on how I lead and even how I preach and teach. So mm. I did my undergraduate in Bible. I did my master's in business. So I got an MBA mm -hmm. because that was going to be the tools that I used to go overseas. Okay. 
But it's funny. I use my MBA all the time as a senior really? pastor. Well, you know, organizational management and yeah. running, you just yeah. principles you There's learn. There's a lot of stuff, yeah. And then I did my Master of Divinity in Ministry Leadership um, from Columbia uh, International and uh, with a specialization in Islamic studies. And then I did uh, my doctorate out at the Master's <laughs> Seminary in expositional preaching. Mm. And, and and that was really tremendously formative. And that was after I became senior pastor, I I already had this heart for mission and I had all this missional experience, but mm. I, I realized that I needed some deep preaching theology mm. and, and and practices and principles. And and my my doctorate really provided me with that. I was actually the youngest doctoral graduate to come out of the um the master's seminary. Um, and I, I was in a room with 40 other guys who, when you go to other conferences, sometimes pastor's conferences, the mm -hmm. first question is that people ask is how big is your church? Yeah, yeah. And, and that becomes a little bit of a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, when I was doing my doctorate with these 40 other godly men, preachers of the word, preachers of Christ, do you know it was two years before anybody asked me that question? Really? And when people asked you that question, they didn't really care about the answer. Mm -hmm. The priority was on the proclamation and the exposition of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And so that gave me just a, a profound appreciation and, and helped enhance mm -hmm. my heart for what I had seen practically on the mission field. Mm -hmm. But then to hopefully bring in that theological depth of teaching and marry theological richness and, and doctrine with missional fervency. Mm. So to me, that, 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 that lights my heart up. Yeah. You know, doctrinal majesty with missional fervency. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And, and we see that even Sunday to Sunday, even as you're teaching through Hebrews and, and we're unpacking all of this unbelievable, beautiful truth about Jesus as our high priest and how that impacts our life, but then how it leads us into mission um, and how you continue to paint this beautiful picture of what he has done for us and how he has equipped us for ministry. Um, as we move forward here at Heritage, what do you see as the future of Heritage? Or how would you like to see the Lord work at Heritage? Let me frame it that way. So people have heard me say Sunday after Sunday, we are a church of broken people. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to clarify, some people don't, like that phrase because um, the fact that we are made whole in Christ. And theologically, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Our identity in Christ is that we are whole. But the phrase that we are broken recognizes that we still struggle in the flesh with our sin and that we have broken backgrounds and we are a people who by nature or by historical nature mm -hmm. are broken. But we're made whole in Christ, but we're still learning to live out what that means. Yeah. So. I never want to lose the fact that the door is wide open at Heritage, that we are going to, we're a hospital for sinners, mm. learning to what it means to walk in our sainthood Amen. <laughs> in Christ. And so when we talk about the direction um, to, to be invitational to anybody and everybody, to continue to build upon that, mm. and I don't see any seismic shifts of where we need to go as a church, but rather continuing to build upon and enhance what the Lord, I believe, is already doing at Heritage with wonderful team like, like you, Mike, and, and like others on staff or our lay leaders or people, our ministers. I can see this, this wonderful shift of, of a high grace culture mm. and also an appreciation for the majesty of who Christ is. 
and that identity that moves us into fervent mission. Mm. People being willing to live out that mission, being willing to sacrifice uh, for the cause of Christ. Amen. So direction, you know, I, I I don't, in my mind, I don't think it matters if Heritage has um, 10,000 people here worshiping on Sunday uh, or, or, or 100. Um, my hope is that we will have 10 or 15,000 people all over the world who pass through our doors at some point have had their theology shaped by a high Christ, by who he is, and then a fervency for mission. And they're serving as, uh, as businessmen, as teachers, as moms and dads, or as vocational missionaries, engineers, whatever it may be, all over the world. And the greatest legacy that we live or that we leave behind is that there are kingdom builders who've owned it for themselves mm. all over the world in all the nations proclaiming Christ. So I really just want to be a conduit. I want to be a conduit as a church, uh, launching people to own the Great Commission, to own who Christ is and what they've done in their life, and also to own the mission for themselves. Amen. Amen. I love it. Love it. Well, with that in mind and that desire to be a conduit, um, how can we be in prayer for you specifically as the senior pastor of a large church of a church that does have a large influence um, and a church that not only has an influence here in our community, has an influence globally as we think about uh, many of our global partners and uh, missionaries around the world. Um, how can we be praying for you? I appreciate the prayer, um, any prayer and all <laughs> prayer, because uh, I, I am no superhuman. Um, I am my, my, my degrees or my experiences. Um, I am just as frail as anybody out there. And I have so many imperfections and frailties that I thank God that he works through me despite all of those frailties and imperfections. And I need prayer for strength, for wisdom, mm -hmm. uh, for endurance. Um, that's in the general sense. I just want to acknowledge up front uh, that, uh, I, I am wholly dependent upon the Lord to do anything, and the and I could not do anything I do without the wonderful team the Lord has surrounded me with. Mm -hmm. um, and for prayer specifically, I just pray that my priorities and Heritage's priorities are always Christ's priorities, mm -hmm. um, and that we don't get off track in becoming building our own kingdom or me building my own kingdom uh, or just getting off track into good things and neglecting the best things. Uh, pray for my wife, pray for my kids, that we as a family, that we would have a good marriage, that we have good family life, and that I would make time for that. A lot of the same things that so many of people listening to the podcast or Sunday after Sunday, the things that they deal with, man, I deal with them too, just yeah. wrestling with it. I pray that I stay humble. I, I, I stay humble. You almost feel like that. It's just, I'm, I'm already so humble. Please pray that I stay <laughs> humble. You know, no, I pray that I, I pray that I learn greater depths of humility mm. and, and reliance upon Christ. And that um, I get to the point, I just long for that day when I can enjoy, say, I literally can do nothing apart from Christ. Mm. But in my frailty right now, I still think I can do a lot in my own strength. So, man, I, please pray for me. <laughs> I need lots of prayer. I'm just, I'm just a frail guy with lots of yeah. issues. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm quirky and weird, and I have no hair. I mean, you know, it's just I need lots. I need lots. You of know, hair. I wasn't going to mention the no hair thing, wow. but uh, as you like to point out all the time with me, but I'm not bitter <laughs> or anything. Not bitter at all. Well, you're a fellow foodie with me well, too, right? I mean, we that appreciate good ice cream and you know all those all good my, things. All good things. Well, we will definitely be in prayer. And I, I would encourage all those who are listening, please, please, please be in prayer for your pastor. Um, and be in prayer for Pastor Nathan, Pastor Kent, um, other leaders here at the church, uh, whether it's other pastors, uh, your D.C. leaders, all those who are helping guide, direct, and shepherd the church. Um, it is a, a hard thing to do at times. It is weighty. And we long to do it for Christ's namesake. Mm. Um, and so pray for them. And uh, and because we do pray for you and uh, we long to care for uh, the people of the of heritage and uh, and shepherd well. And so uh, be in prayer for him uh, during this time and also pray for him now because he has to answer one of uh, the random questions. Oh, no. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we got. Maybe it'll be an easy one. You know, let's see here. <clears throat> Okay, now this one, this one, I think is appropriate. You put this one on the top of the deck. Or I something, did not didn't put you? this one on top of the deck. I did sure. not. And this one is actually a very thoughtful question that I think will will be beneficial. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice you've ever been given. I know there's probably a lot of different oh things. my so goodness, it's hard to narrow down. But if you could think of one the piece of best advice. piece of advice that I've ever been given um don't buy apple that's probably a good one. Oh my no <laughs> you, you google crazy person i just like to buy things that work um you know and are dependable and help the kingdom so all those things uh, man some of the best advice that i've been given uh i remember one time a um a seasoned and well-known pastor. I had the opportunity to sit down with him in his office, and I'm thinking of this young guy. I want to just glean some wisdom mm -hmm. from him. And you know, when I asked, I said, "What would you tell a younger self uh, that that you you've learned in ministry?" And I was expecting maybe something cliche like preach the word. Now, please don't. That's not. It shouldn't, no, it shouldn't be cliche. But yeah, yeah. but in pastoral ministry, you know, you know. But he looked at me and he said, "Value." your staff and your leaders, and keep them with you, they'll be some of the greatest blessings in ministry to you. Mm. So from a practical standpoint, yeah. just remembering that you, you, you can't do this alone. You're not an island. You need the body of Christ. You need your leaders and your team with you, and you need to love on them, keep them with you, and, and they can be one of your greatest joys and blessings. And I can say with great joy but over the years, one of my greatest blessings has been uh, my pastors, my leaders, uh, the staff that I've worked with. It has been a great joy. Mm. Um, so I, th I think that has been been helpful. And then one thing my dad always used to say growing up is don't forget to stop and smell the roses. <laughs> Very practical, but yeah. it, it was even in, on the mission field or in life, my dad always, get, both my parents, but my dad used to say this all the time, is don't forget to stop and enjoy the rose, smell the roses. In other words, slow down a little bit. Mm. Enjoy what the Lord has given you and learn to be thankful yeah. for his graces in your life. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that's a great, great place to stop. Nathan, thank you so much for being on, for sharing your story. Um, I'm very thankful. As one of your staff, 
I'm very thankful to be part of the team. Um, it truly is amazing to see what God is doing um, amidst a bunch of broken people. And, and I think <laughs> of which both you and I are, right? right? But that's, oh just, my. that's just it. That's just it. He is faithful, um, and he is so good. So good. So thank you, sir, for being on, and uh, very excited about what God has in store in this year. Well, this has been another episode of the Alongside Podcast. For more details on Alongside, including show notes, past episodes, and more, you can visit alongsidepodcast.com. Also, wherever you may be listening to this, make sure you leave a five-star review so others can hear about Alongside and be encouraged in their faith. I'm your host, Mike Crump. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you'll join us next time as we continue to come alongside other followers of Christ in order to have thoughtful conversations about the gospel, culture, and the church.